Welcome to the podcast of Wiser, women in surgery at the Emory Residencies, where we share the careers and life stories of Emory surgeons across all specialties to recognize the diverse achievements happening right here at our own institution. Dr. Akanksha Mehta spent the first 12 years of her life in India. She describes her family as very traditional, but both of her parents were accomplished professionals, something that maybe wasn't so traditional in Indian culture. So my mom worked, she was trained as an OBGYN, and my dad worked, he was trained as an engineer, and at least the time that I was growing up, it was sort of rare for family to have two working parents, and looking back, I think, you know, we kind of took that in stride, and that was normal for our family, but it certainly wasn't the norm for most of my friends. Today we got to sit down with Dr. Maida. She's an assistant professor of urology at Emory. She's also the director of male reproductive health at Emory and a guest researcher at the Division of Reproductive Health at the CDC. I'm your host, Caroline Coleman, and I'm here with Liz Traore, a PGY3 in the urology residency program. Around the age of 12, uh, for me, my mom switched jobs, careers, um, started working for the United Nations, and we left India. We moved internationally. We spent four years living in Switzerland, and then sometime three years living in Thailand. So I finished high school um, in Thailand, came to the U.S. for the first time when I came to college. Had no idea what I was getting myself into. Ended up at Brown in the Northeast, never having visited any <laughs> U.S. colleges, and was there for... 13 years, undergrad, med school, residency, before we finally left Rhode Island. Met my husband in med school, and um, the rest is sort of history. While at Brown as an undergrad, she studied both biology and international relations, a product of her diverse upbringing and international childhood. My focus was definitely on the international health and politics behind international health. But it was, you know, just a way to kind of formalize what I had experienced all that time before ending up in college. So to me, it was a great combination. You know, the the funny thing is I wasn't even actually thinking about going into medicine until maybe my last year of high school. Uh, I remember moving from Geneva, um, so in Switzerland, to Bangkok in Thailand at a time when the AIDS epidemic was really raging in Thailand. And it was just involving every facet of everybody's life all the time. And seeing the public health response to that, some of which through my mom's work, but also just socially being immersed in that was what led me to think about medicine in the first place. Dr. Mehta would return to Southeast Asia just a few years later. Instead of the public health side of the HIV epidemic that she knew while growing up though, she would now meet a much more personal side. The opportunity to go to Cambodia came about when I was an undergrad at Brown actually initially as a research project and then I went back there the year after. And it was really a, a, a shocking and a grounding experience. Cambodia had just opened up after years of oppression. And for me, it was really the first time that I was seeing patients not just 
living with HIV but dying of AIDS. It completely opened up my eyes uh, to that, that side of the epidemic and I think strengthened my resolve to go into medicine. So you can see where this infectious disease interest came about early on. So coming into medical school, Dr. Maida now had a few pretty tremendous life experiences in infectious diseases, as well as a mother who was trained in OBGYN. It might seem like her path was pretty predestined. Her chosen specialty, though, came as a surprise to everyone. I was pretty set on going into infectious diseases. That was going to be my path. That's what got me interested in medicine. And that's what I did my research in as an undergraduate and as an early medical student as well. And I didn't really think about, I didn't know about urology, first of all, but I didn't even really think about a surgical subspecialty until I did my surgery rotation. Thankfully, I did that early and realized that I loved being in the operating room, loved working with my hands, hated rounding. (laughs) And then I started to look for some surgical subspecialties to see what else was out there besides general surgery. Uh, Urology was still not on my radar, uh, but we had limited opportunities to explore other surgical subspecialties. I was actually thinking about ENT for a while, but there was only one spot available, and some other kid in my class had signed up for it. I still remember his name. I was so bitter (laughs) because he clearly had no interest in in going into surgery. but uh, you know he he wasn't willing to trade, so I looked around for what else was available. Urology was available. I at that point I was kind of resigned that it's not going to work out. I'm just gonna you know do ID, but I just did it for the sake of filling up my schedule, and I loved it. I'm so glad I did. It was kind of fortuitous. Not very serendipitous. In yes, that way. <laughs> yes, very much so. Very much so. So Dr. Maida pivoted. Leaving behind her previous life plan of pursuing a career in infectious disease, and instead became a urologist. We wanted to know who she had to encourage and mentor her through what, to her, was somewhat of an uncharted journey now. We had one physician in our department who was a urologist and and female, and clearly had trained in the era where there were even fewer women in urology than there are today probably had to overcome a lot of struggles to get to where she was and was not exactly a great role model in terms of personal interactions, work-life balance, anything outside of the operating room, really. She was a brilliant surgeon, very gifted, clearly knew academic urology, but that's kind of where it ended. And most of us, there were many of my peers were also women going through residency. Most of us were left without really a a female role model or a mentor. That said, we had some great mentors who happened to be men. And I think I've been lucky kind of at every stage during residency, fellowship, um, even as a junior attending, to have really supportive men who have been uh, available to be mentors and I think you know you you take advantage of what you have we are a fairly young faculty in the department of urology here there are a lot of women but we're kind of all the same level assistant professor level so there is some cross mentorship I guess but we are lacking senior mentorship here 
too so we rely on many of our male colleagues and that's fine they've been really supportive one of the contributing factors to this paucity of mentors is that only eight percent of practicing urologists are female on top of this a 2017 study in the journal Urology showed that women are also disproportionately underrepresented in both educational and administrative leadership positions within urology. Only 3% of department chairs are female. 8% of residency directors and 9% of fellowship directors are women. The 8% number is a real number if you take into account everybody who's currently practicing urology in this country. There are very few women who are actually practicing urology. If you take into account the number of applicants who are applying into urology, that number is much higher, thankfully, you know, somewhere in the 25 to 30% range. And I think that rings true of the applications that we see every year for residency as well. Urology is a really dynamic field. We are changing, and I'm glad we're changing in terms of the male-female complement as well, because our patients are demanding to see more women. You know, much like the change that OBGYN has gone through where there was a time when all OBGYNs were men and now we are sort of at the other end of the spectrum. I don't know if urology will ever get to the other end of the spectrum, probably not, but we see patients with similar personal complaints and they want to see a female urologist who they can connect with. So I think that's part of it. But urology has a lot of opportunities in terms of setting up your day-to-day life and schedule that other surgical fields don't necessarily offer. So we do a wide range of surgeries. We do a wide range of office procedures. You can kind of mix and match your schedule really well. So I think it lends itself to a lot of opportunity for students and residents who want to mix research with practice, whether it be private practice or academic urology. Um, there's lots of different combinations, and I think that's, that's an attractive part about our field. And eventually, as the word gets out, I think we'll see more and more women. But what about women in leadership? Can we chalk it up to demographic inertia, or is there something more? think, uh, you know, is certainly related to the fact that there have been historically very few women in urology. I mean, I think currently only th- there's only three chairpersons in the country who are women, but they are amazing. And, you know, they are great role models. They mentor a lot of trainees and junior faculty, and they're kind of trailblazers in the field of urology. So they I think for those of us who are growing up in this era, looking up to these women, they're very inspirational, and I think that effect will trickle down. It's just going to take a little bit of time. What have some of the biggest obstacles you faced throughout your career been, and how did you navigate them? The the biggest obstacle for me probably was not even on the clinical side. I was in my third month of general surgery internship when I suddenly lost my mom and it was unexpected. And that's still hard. And she was probably one of my first role models and also the only person in my family who really (laughs) understood anything about medical training. So losing her was difficult. And the circumstances around that loss just made me very disillusioned with medicine in general. For a while, I thought about leaving medicine altogether. That whole process happened. And it took 
you know, a few months to kind of realize that this is really what I wanted to do with my life and get back on track. But I think it taught me a lot about myself, the kind of physician I wanted to be, the importance of relationships with other people in medicine, training, certainly. And many of us deal with big life events uh, during training. We all do at one time or another. And you can either grow from that or you can let that kind of overtake you and overshadow you. And I'm glad I had the support to be able to grow from it. Other than that, urology is still very much an old boys club to some extent. So that implicit bias in terms of gender is still there, whether or not we recognize it both in terms of how female residents are treated in the operating room, in the clinic, during educational opportunities and activities. Um, and I think it is getting less, but that's still very much there. And kind of everyday reminders of that are important. And also, you're about to have your third child. I am. Congratulations. Thank you. What's your experience been balancing motherhood and medicine? Motherhood is hard. It's hard for anyone, regardless of what you do, whether you're in medicine or not, or whether you're a stay-at-home mom, which is probably the hardest. But I also think it's so rewarding. There is never a good time in medicine to have children. Uh, you have to pick a time that's right for you. It's different for everyone. Also important to remember that it really does take a village to raise a child. It is impossible to do it alone, whether you rely on outside help, family, whatever. There is no shame in asking for help. Um, everybody needs help. I think we are sometimes our own enemies, um, our own worst enemies, I should say, because we are so driven, those of us who are in surgery and have always been able to do it ourselves and get it done um, but you recognize that when you become a mother that is not that attitude is not going to get you anywhere and it's and it's very humbling um, and you just have to be okay asking for help uh, and it is okay thank you so much thank you thank yeah. you thanks for tuning in to today's wiser podcast hope you join us next time for another great interview